Welcome to the Climate Report on Forward Radio, WFMP 106.5 FM Louisville. Also streaming worldwide at forwardradio.org. This is Hart Hagen, your host, and we are on episode number 349. Today's episode is the Counter-Revolution of 1776, Part 3. I'm joined by my friends Michael T. and Vincent Gonzalez. Let's join the conversation in progress. If you look at all the money the federal government spends, the and all the administrative, uh, everything that goes into it, among the few good things that they do, they do a lot of bad things with that mm-hmm. money. And among the few good things they do is they write people social security checks, they and, they, and they and they pay, and, yeah, and they pay Medicare and Medicaid. They, they better. And think yeah, of where those I two, think of where those two things came from: Medicare and Medicaid from the '60s, mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, the popular uprisings of the '60s, yeah. and uh, social security from the '30s, the yeah. popular mm-hmm. uprisings of the '30s. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and both times, talk. yeah, both times, <laughs> the government was afraid of the people. Yeah. Jefferson supposedly said, when, when the government fears the people, there is liberty. Mm-hmm. When people fear the government, there is tyranny. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. And think about how today, how, how much pressure there is to fear the government mm-hmm. and how much pressure there is to not make the government fear you. Yeah, in seen and unseen ways. You know, it's a, you know, I feel like the it's manufactured consent mm-hmm. where we don't even question these lies. Okay, yeah. they're not taught to us, but I challenge myself, and you know, I'm lucky to have a, you know, a friend and a mentor who, you know, holds me accountable to these things. And it's like you live in the information age. You, you gotta. I know it's gonna have to like shuffle under some rocks and kind of mm-hmm. shift it out a little bit, man. But. The truth is out there, and we you have an onus and a responsibility to hold these things. But I will say, man, most people of color, you grow up in this country, clearly, you know, I, I stopped saying the Pledge of Allegiance around like the eighth grade or so. I would get kind of, you know, goaded. I used to get detention when I was in high school for not saying this was, this was, I, I, 9-11 happened my freshman year of high school. So we, we had this almost jingoism of, you know, just like unfeathered extreme patriotism we never you know it's like whenever an event kind of rocks the nation we never like take that time for reflection and yeah. let's say hey, let's take a step back let's yeah. let's see why things are as why as pro- you know the, let's no let's let's double down on the imperialism yeah. let's let's double down on the unquestioned patriotism yeah. and you see we stand in all those man all those folk um, overseas, I mean, they killed over a million I- Iraqis, yeah. and you see, you know, kind of what's currently going on. I'm about and, to read that. Take, take, take Vietnam and Korea, yeah. take Vietnam yes. and Korea, and put them together, and it adds up to, in my calculation, six million. That's Jesus, a yeah. that's a Holocaust right there. Yeah. Vietnam and Korea. Good now, if you think about the narrative, how they were expanding on the narrative at the time of 9-11, instead of going into our relationships with these countries and the history of that, which would have put it in a better perspective, you know, the stuff we were doing in the Middle Didn't East. exist in a vacuum. They made it look, why do they hate us? Well, they hate us because they're jealous of us because we our have freedom. so much. Yeah. Not based on any kind of imperialistic policies or how we treated them. It's just that they're jealous of us because we have so much and we're better than them. And we have all these consumer goods and technology. Right, but on the point of technology, I want to say there's no excuse in a way for people to be ignorant because 
even though there has not been a real revolution, many deep thinkers have pointed out that there has been a communications revolution. Because one thing about capitalism, it revolutionizes, as Marx says, technology and the means of production. So they sort of created the rope to hang themselves with because they they're going to they're going to regret the day they gave us the, the internet information yeah. <laughs> that's out there is accessible now everybody don't know where to look or have the desire to look but if you really want to know about the counter-revolution and everything else going oh, yeah. on in the world you can find that and there's this is amazing me on the internet if they, if they had their druthers <laughs> it'd be it'd all be over a paywall you know, yeah. it's slowly it's trying to you know and just paying it to net yeah. new, net neutrality, yes. slowing down uh, information that is maybe subversive to they don't care what it is as long if it's not hook line and sinker, the great American lie, and that it was all you know sweet and happy. But I think that it's going to be hard to get to suppress that because I sort of look at that like when they you know that old uh, maximum truth crushed to the ground always rises. Absolutely. The internet and the ubiquity of it because even if they shut it down here you can go to Al Jazeera or Canadian you know we can tune in somebody will tune in to some other areas you know because that's what we do now I mean because we don't get the right information, so I'll tune into some, you know, like the BBC, you know, whatever they, you know, offer that might not the, be offered here. The old ways of imperialist conquest are out the window here. Yeah. We find ourselves in a brave new world where yeah. um, you can't just, I mean, how long did it take after they left Afghanistan? It wasn't even like, you know, a week or so. For the Taliban to reseize these things, really, you, you know they got the, 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 the emperor doesn't have any clothes on. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 cutting in a certain way. So, you know, we the those in your your show, what we're trying to do here, it's like we we have a duty and we have an onus to, you know, sunlight being the best disinfectant. You know, yeah. put put light to these things and well, let's, tell let's the talk truth. about war. Let's talk yeah. about war. Let's talk about it. You you have people on the so-called left who, uh, you know, th there's this there's this identity politics thing, mm -hmm. and it's like identity politics divorced from a class analysis. Exactly. So there's no That's class the analysis, <laughs> and it's like, oh, we're going over. And it's like, is there any? Nellie Mackay, my, my one of my favorite artists, said said oh, this. Man. She said, "Is there any more profound form of racism than dropping bombs on brown people? You know, is there any is there any more for, more profound form of misogyny than than what happens to women mm -hmm. and their children when we make war on these yes. countries? I mean, that is is more." much more important than, than any type of racism in people's I, I, I don't want to minimize I don't mm -hmm. I don't want to generalize too much mm -hmm. but yeah. there's a whole lot of misogyny and racism inherent in our foreign policy Absolutely. And, and in uh, our prisons we were just yeah. talking about prisons. that yeah, yeah we yeah. you know that's it's all it's it's this uh, and, and, and one more thing, one more yeah, thing. The, the, this group this this particular political party that pretends to care about climate the Democrats. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, here's step number one. 
release prisoners that are guilty only of nonviolent drug crimes. Yeah. Release them. Get yeah. them out of these. These pre concrete is a huge uh, yeah. is a huge emitter of carbon. There's yeah. so much concrete, so much steel dedicated to to complex. prisons yeah. and and all the technology all the you know all all the electronics that go so mm -hmm. much environmental degradation so yeah. much carbon emissions mm -hmm. that comes from all that stuff and it and it, it and it is supporting enterprises of racism misogyny and and genocide and murder and we see those things you know again capitalism is fundamental as fundamental as the you know, economy is, but we see, you know, that white supremacy and the patriarchy as inextricably connected. Absolutely. Here's how, here's how I see that. Can I share with you how I see the connection between yes. yeah, right uh, capitalism and, let's say, you know, greed, acquisition, uh, nothing, nothing against a small business, but the large-scale acquisition of wealth, what is the connection of that to... Uh, to misogyny and racism, they can play us against each other. Absolutely. That's, the, that's the big thing. Mm -hmm. They can, you know, you, there's so many examples of that, but it, it's like if, if you, um, I mean, you, you give me examples of that. What are examples in history of when uh, poor white people have been played off against uh, black people, you know, I mean, the, divide the Trump, and conquer? Trump, the Trump election was one like, <laughs> yeah, I, that, yeah, one of the best examples modern day or otherwise of how you know you play everyone as the alien hey they're over there they got your job he, he started with that because he knew how much that money could sell <laughs> and i'm gonna one-up you on that yeah i'm gonna i'm, I'm gonna say that uh, uh, the uh, the new acceptable bigotry mm -hmm. is bigotry toward trump voters and, and Republican, it's like a form of, it's like you're generalizing. It's like, I know, I know a Trump voter who um, lives with her two mixed race grandchildren. Mm -hmm. uh, I know another uh, person who's not necessarily a Trump voter, but she's a Republican. And, you know, her, her daughter dates a, a, an African American. It's like, but the mythology I might cut this part out. The mythology, oh, the, the mythology is that those <coughs> it's otherizing people. Mm -hmm. It's like here's a whole group of people mm -hmm. that voted a certain way, mm -hmm. and we're gonna we're gonna stereotype them as gun nuts, as uh, racists, as whatever you want to be. So, and who does that help? The party elites. That doesn't help the average Democrat. Okay. Can I respond yeah, to that? Yeah, I, yeah. I'm going to take issue with okay, much sure. of what you're saying. Please do. Right. I've heard that yeah, theory a lot. Yeah, okay. Okay. And as much as much of that is true, mm -hmm. but I think there, what that analysis leaves out is two things, okay. two critical things. One is the origins of that so-called identity politics. What was the racist identity, identity politics identity system that set all of that in motion and why you know horn and many others including myself we maintain that the identity of whiteness mm -hmm. and white nationalism mm -hmm. not indian nationalism or black nationalism mm -hmm. nobody you can't see where slaves came over here we're talking about black nationalism you know there was no black unity in yeah. Africa. There were tribes like in, in the U.S., you know, and uh, the, um, you know, in this landmass, and even in Europe, 
There was no white identity. Those people identified themselves as Portuguese or English or French or by their religion. Horn makes the point, and many other of the new scholars, that the white identity emerged in the colonies, particularly the British colonies, as a ploy to prevent the unity of they, the... They needed the white people to keep the uh, black people yes, like, in, enslaved. Yes. It was a very sinister ploy. Look, yeah. okay, you look like us, so we'll pretend that we're all in this together, knowing that they had that the very elites here had no intention of sharing wealth and power with the people who looked like them. It was a cruel joke to keep them from uniting with us and the indigenous, to separate them off. I know we speak on, you know, the just believing this as left it's like the principal one, contradiction. one quick point misogyny laws like uh, prevention of of intermarriage provision of interracial marriage the yeah. same uh, they didn't want uh, people to you know know each other love each other be related to each other by blood yeah because there's no there was no natural antipathy between people because people are yeah. people mm -hmm. and those unions were happening so, as many scholars point out, it wasn't even a question of miscegenation or uh, they wanted to stop any kind of, you know, sexual interaction because the slave owners were doing yeah, right. that all the time. Right, right. They were the ones promoting yeah. that. Right. You know, but as it's been pointed out, it's a power play. They wanted to control the process because even in the miscegenation, uh, miscegenation laws, they didn't have no problem with Indians and blacks or, um, mm. you know, or any other peoples of color cohabitating, you know, or white men with women of color, Indians, black or otherwise. The main force they were trying to prevent rep uh, reproducing was black males and white women mm. there was no killing for nobody else you know and uh, the other thing that's that, that's critical in that whiteness project was that okay after that was set in motion and they enlisted not all of the white people but a critical number to keep the slavery and capitalism intact and to get them to fight the indians and to suppress through slave patrols the uprisings of, of uh, the enslaved people, you know, after they did all of that, they still didn't share the wealth with the poor whites. Poor white people continue to this day. So I'm leading all this to say that those misled people who uphold Trump and other capitalists and elites, they're highly misled into thinking that those people on their side, and this and, and the case could be made hard, that's not just ignorance. I mean, for a lot of these white people know that it's not just. They know that the system is capitalistic. They know that the rich have everything. So why, if you know that, and you knew that back then, and you knew what they did to you then, why are you reluctant to unite with black people. Why are you so quick to unite with every fascist that pops up, right? And I agree with you, not everybody in the Republican Party 
is fascist, but I maintain, as many others do, that the Trump faction of the Republican Party, which is the dominant one right now, it's not Cheney's, not Bush, not any of those people. You know, they got Cheney's uh, uh, daughter out of there. Those people are supporting a fascist movement. That MAGA thing, I agree with Biden on this. That's a fascist. He called it semi-fascist. That fits, according to many scholars, all the definitions of fascism, including the one where they will dupe a section of the working class into their project. And I think it means the whole. So, you know, as leftists, we hold a principal contradiction is the role that capitalism, or the role that capital plays in our lives. Um, for America, we might have to like sort of specialize it to say one the role of capital one a white supremacy and all the ways and means that it holds and all the blood that this concept has on its hands. In this country, we that 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 day of reckoning has never really truly occurred. So uh, I see the struggle that we're trying to have with trying to get this truth out of like how this thing started, because man, what is it? Two hundred pushing we're pushing two hundred and forty something years of this project, man. I'm. I want, I want, I want off of the. It's a small world, yo. I'm trying to. <laughs> we, we, we've seen enough here. Two hundred something years. We're good with that, man. It's, it's, we, we need real power to the people in these streets, man. We need to democratize these institutions that rule our lives, and, and you know, yeah. I, I don't see any other way of cutting it. And it's a, and, and you know, and I will concede that you know a lot of the identity politics coming from even, you know, all peoples of color, even women, even the feminist movement, you know, it plays a divisive role in the sense that, as you said, they don't get to the core issue of how... It's all they've got left. Capitalists are, have always right, right, right. driven this thing, uh -huh. but what I reject unequivocally is, okay, what they're trying to do is make, okay, because of white nationalists, let's put things in sequence. It didn't, like I said, the Indians didn't set that uh, identity politics in motion. The Africans didn't set it in. Who set that emotion? Okay, once they set that emotion, naturally there's going to be a backlash. White nationalism promoted, you know, uh, black nationalism or red nationalism. Okay, this is a white nation. We're going to create a black nation. Now, we know that's not the solution. You know, we're not going to create no black nation. That's not even the answer. But here's the problem I have, Hart. The white nationalists and the white nationalist coddlers and people who want to excuse that or whatever, they try to equate that all of the nationalism is and this and as much as all of that is in my view divisive you can't equate the nationalism for instance of a Farrakhan with the national with the white nationalism of the Ku Klux Klan it wasn't the black nationalists who went on any kind of terror campaigns and killed a whole bunch of white people despite all the rhetoric I hate whiteies and all this it's but we know the nationalism and the, the identity politics that has been the most murderous and repressive. We know, for instance, that in the MAGA forces, the white nationalists are the most patriarchal and the most racist and, the, you know, all this Christian stuff. You know, the, who are these people? There's no coincidence that, 
You know, certain types of people, because of historical reasons, gravitate towards that. You know, people talk about, well, you know, these people, they just see Bush, you know, he's just another alternative like Biden. Is he really? I mean, we know how imperialistic Biden is, but is what, uh, I'm talking, I said Bush, is Trump the same as Biden or, or any of those neoliberals? Now, to me, the worst part about the neoliberals is that, you know, as you said, they have no intention of fundamentally changing the society. They want to keep capitalism intact, you know, but fascism is fascism, just like in World War II. The United States didn't cease to become a, a, um, a capitalist country because they fought against the fascists. You know, and all those other countries that fought against fascism and all the people who fought against well, fascism. Well, we funded the fascists. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Our industrialists made him well, impossible. In many ways. Quite but, the game of three-car Monty but, we got going on here. But the, th <laughs> yeah. but the true Democrats, right, in the world, I'm talking about a small deal. Yeah, right. They understood that fascism was anathema to any type of progress. Hmm. They didn't equate Mussolini and Hitler with, you know, the capitalists in Sweden, for instance. You know, still capitalists, but, I mean, you know, there are differences between them. There's struggles between them, you know. I mean, and you can't equate all of that stuff. And I think that's a sinister ploy on the part of white nationalists to excuse their white nationalism by saying, well, you got black nationalists and you got red nationalists and all of this, so we're all the same and it's all identity. No, it's not all identity politics. And if it is... White identity has been empowered, has been adjacent to the ruling class. Black nationalists have had no favor with the ruling class. There's been no presidential administration that favored black nationalism. You know, Obama wouldn't have become the president promoting black nationalism, but you can become the president promoting white nationalism. <laughs> You're not going to get it be promoting red nationalism. And again, I'm not promoting nationalism, right. but there's a difference. Now, if it was all the same and the Klan and the, and the Nation of Islam and not the worst type of idiot, I think black nationalists was the same as the Nazis and everything, why is it that the powers that be don't favor that? Why have they not brought them into positions of power as they've done with white nationalists? Because they see a use for that. There's some use for that. There's some use for all of it. But historically, they, the white nationalists have been their biggest allies. And I will die on that hill. And, you know, have been whose biggest allies? The, the capitalist ruling class. Okay, so let's, let's talk about slave patrols. Yes. And how that's the origin of our police and how it's something that the state can instigate but deny. You know what I'm saying? The state can kind of set the stage for that kind of thing to happen, turn yeah. the head the other way. Yeah. Meanwhile, people are being ravaged by this rogue uh, vigilante type of element yeah. that the state could suppress, but it chooses not yeah, to. I, I feel like that, that sort of speaks on why it meant so much to them to have the veneer of separation of powers. Because... Hmm. We can, I've, I've talked to police officers, and this was on the ground at the square during the revolution of 
you know, or the, we call it the uprising, the uprising and Injustice Square. Uh, there were times police officers earlier on when things got tight, they started coming in plain clothes trying to like do saboteur attempts. Yeah, exactly. But exactly. early on, right. they came down and they said, what, "Hey, we don't we don't write the laws. If you want to yeah, change this right. law, if you want us to stop kicking your door in." Talk to your local congressperson, yes. and it's just you know now you're off the hook. You don't have to touch that. So you see how they play the separation of powers as a way that okay, hey, it, you know, look at the birdie over here. <laughs> We're holding it in a different way, but it's you know there, there's there's a there's a clear onus. There's a there's a there's a, um, a methodology that all sides of this state hold. And that's too, um, you know, as we as we hold for our uh, campaign, mm -hmm. the number one role of the police is to uphold the role of capital in this country, you know, and, you know, secondary to that, or we can say it just, you know, in as a person of color, I'm seen as subversive to that aims because they've never truly absolved themselves of their their original founding of being slave catching patrols so you know in a white supremacist nation they're going to key in on certain things we're we're more the likely to you know spark up some insurrection in terms of you know mm -hmm. something that wouldn't go towards their means you saw how on january 6 the police officers were just letting the trumpers through and Hey, man, another day at the office. Mo a high number of police officers were amongst the insurrection, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, like, why is that the case where, you know, who you guys choose to fellow with in your bed? You know, it's what? like they're they're kissing cousins in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Why is yeah. what the case? What, why, why is there so many police officers who are adjacent to and find some sort of uh solace or home in this imperialist white supremacist narrative that was passed along you know i'm going to make another point about that fascist thing because i think again that's so clear because uh, i mean many of us on the left we see again not excusing biden and the neoliberals as you know our political enemies but we recognize that the ruling class is not monolithic and historically, they've always had different strategies. You have one wing of the ruling class, for instance, that, that despises Trump. Not because they love the working class or they want to end capitalism. They don't think Trump and the, and the policies he promotes will will maintain capitalist rule mm -hmm. you know i mean there's a case to be made that fdr's whole motivation i mean he was a capitalist too but he was one that felt that you know we got to make especially to save capitalism in this dire depression crisis the best way is to extend some more reforms you know and you know make some cosmetic changes you know some were good you know social security and employment compensation and we could better maintain our rule there's always been other sectors of the ruling class who say no we don't need to do all that you know we just suppress dissent you know, drop the hammer on them both will utilize those strategies when push comes to shove but one favors co-optation you can see it in the recent uprisings there are many in the ruling class that suppress that you know crap 
And then there's others, they'll just buy them off. You know, put up a Black Lives Matter sign. You know, put them on TV, get them in the movies. Tension, keeping the system intact with different strategies. It's not one monolithic strategy. Which one say, helps do, us the most? Where do you get a conversation this deep on commercial media? <laughs> you won't. Oh, man. Nowhere. That's all the time we have. Thank you for joining us. Have a nice day.